Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Taking you up until 12 o'clock this afternoon. We have a jam-packed show today. I want to get into why O.J. Simpson is now on Twitter. Have you seen this, Ben Alpert? O.J. Simpson, yes, that O.J. Simpson, decided he was going to get on Twitter today. What would you guess was his original tweet? O.J. Simpson, like I said, is now on Twitter. What would you imagine is O.J. Simpson's first tweet that he ever sent out? What did he say? I want to make sure that I get the phrasing soon. Or correct. This is his first tweet. I am am quoting from O.J. Simpson's Twitter. Quote, I killed her. That is the first tweet on O.J. Simpson's Twitter account. He posted a video one hour later confirming that this is him. His tweets so far, I killed her. Where to be words at? Let's link up R. R. Kelly. I didn't kill anybody. Still beat. And then a video confirming this is him. No way. I don't know what is happening right now. I'm not entirely sure I understand what's happening or can't comprehend what's happening. But we're going to monitor this story throughout the morning for you guys right here on the leadoff as we continue to figure out what is going on with O.J. Simpson as I believe it was the 27-year anniversary of the killings uh, earlier this week. I think it was on Wednesday. So we'll continue monitoring that story throughout the morning for you right here on the leadoff. But we've got a lot more to get to as well. Coming up at 10.30, Ken Swanson of Arrowhead Pride is going to join us. Coming up at 11.15, Andrew Brandt's going to join us because, this is going to sound really nerdy, I totally understand. I wanted to have somebody on because earlier this week we found out more details about the Carson Wentz contract. And it was stuff that I had never heard, and it is stuff that I think is going to be really important for the Chiefs next offseason. Basically, to sum it up for you, and I'll get more details from Andrew Brandt. He used to work for the Packers. He understands all of this far more than I do. But, basically, the Chiefs are going to have a franchise tag and a transition tag available next offseason. That really matters for somebody like Tyreek Hill and Chris Jones. They're going to be able to use both. Typically, you can only use one. The reason why is because it is the last year of the current CBA. There's also something called the 30% rule that's really going to impact the way that they're able to do Patrick Mahomes' deal. So, we'll get into that with him. And I just want to ask him in general, you know, what he expects Mahomes to get, what he expects from the Chris Jones holdout. But... Earlier this week, we saw a dynasty come to an end. Let's try that one more time. Earlier this week, we saw a dynasty come to an end. Cousins inbounds the ball. Curry heaves it at the buzzer. It's no good. Franchise history. League history. The Toronto Raptors are NBA champions. A city. A province. A country celebrates. The NBA championship is due north. The Toronto Raptors win 114-110. That audio courtesy of the Raptors Radio Network. Listen, I understand we don't have a ton of Raptors fan in the audience, but I do think this is important for the Chiefs because the Raptors took down what you can argue is the greatest dynasty of this era, at least of the last 15 years. Basically, 
I, I don't know if you would consider the Spurs to be a dynasty in the classic sense because their their titles were all so spread out. Like it was it was one, and then they spread it out four years, and then it was one, and then they spread it out. So. I don't know if you would call the Spurs a dynasty necessarily, but if you do, you could put them in the same category as, or at least a similar category to what we just saw from the Warriors. But the Warriors basically since the Lakers are the biggest dynasty we've seen in the sport. And it came to a screeching halt when they went up against the Raptors. Part of that's because of the injuries. Part of that is because the Raptors were playing unbelievable defense in the entire series. And part of it was just some bad luck in general. A couple shots don't go their way. A couple shots do go the Raptors' way. And all of a sudden, you've got the dynasty coming to an end. KD plants off of the wrong foot in the wrong way at the wrong time. Pops his Achilles. Klay Thompson comes down on his hamstring the wrong way. Out for a game. Klay Thompson comes down his knee the wrong way. Tears his ACL. That's bad luck. But that's what happens when dynasties end. That is the way that these dynasties come to an end. And so the reason I bring that up here specifically in Kansas City, that's going to happen at some point with the Patriots. It is. It always happens where the end happens quicker than anybody would have expected it. We've seen this here in Kansas City with Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning looked like the greatest quarterback in the history of football. And then all of a sudden the next season, it ended quick for him. It was over. They win the Super Bowl because the defense was incredible, but... It was over for Peyton Manning the year that they won that Super Bowl. That's how it's going to go for Tom Brady. I don't know if that'll be in 2019. I don't know if that'll be in 2020. I don't know if it's going to be in 2021. But there's going to come a time when Tom Brady all of a sudden doesn't look like himself anymore. And when that time comes, the reason why the Chiefs have to basically assemble every year as if they're going to win the Super Bowl from here on out, the Chiefs are the closest thing to being able to get it done. The Chiefs almost got this done last year. The Chiefs were within six inches from going to the Super Bowl a year ago. And so when I say that the Raptors were able to end the Warriors dynasty, that's what we should be looking for here in Kansas City. What the Raptors felt earlier this week, what Blues fans are feeling right now when they get ready to have their parade at noon today in St. Louis, that's the feeling Chiefs fans should be having next year. And so whenever I'm on here griping about how the Chiefs don't have enough corners or when we're talking about how the Chiefs are going to construct their roster, not just for 2019, but for years to come, there's a reason for it. There's a simple reason for it. And it is because this team is so incredibly close. And so when I'm reading earlier this week about how the Browns have some infighting because of the way that Baker Mayfield responded to a question about Duke Johnson's trade requests. And I'm seeing how the Houston Texans right now wanted one guy to be their next general manager. So they fired their current general manager 18 months after they gave him the job. And then, oh, that other guy is not available. And the Patriots are pressing tampering charges against the Texans. And now the Texans have no idea who they're going to hire to be their general manager. All of these things are helpful in Kansas City. All of these things are very helpful here in Kansas City. The only teams in the AFC that have seen basically no sort of um, overturn of their organization, no sort of infighting in their organization since the end of last season that are legitimate contenders. The only AFC teams that have not seen some type of organizational infighting since the end of last season that are AFC contenders are the Patriots, 
the Colts, the Chiefs, and the Chargers. Those are the four. The Texans fired their GM. The Colts, or excuse me, the uh, the Browns have something going on right now. The Steelers, we all know the story there with Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell and everything that's taken place this offseason. The AFC is up for grabs. The AFC is going to be up for grabs this year. And if you're a Chiefs fan, you already knew that this team, this season is all about the Super Bowl. But watching earlier this week and watching the Raptors finally bring an end to one of the greatest dynasties that we've ever seen, one of the greatest collections of talent that we've ever seen in any, in, uh, any professional sport, I couldn't help but think about how that could be the Chiefs about seven months from now. Think about that. Seven months from now. The feeling that Raptors fans just had, the celebration that they had in Toronto, the celebration that we just saw in St. Louis, the celebration that we're going to continue seeing plastered all over ESPN today as the parade is going in St. Louis, that could be in Kansas City seven months from now. That could be here. That could be our feeling. Finally, for the first time in my life, for the first time in Ben Alpert's life, for the first time in most of our listening audience's life, that is within the realm of possibilities. So I couldn't help but think about that. I do want to give a quick moment on the NBA because we are about to enter one of the most fascinating periods of the NBA that we've seen in the last 20 years. Every year in the NBA, you typically have a favorite. A team that goes into the season as the overwhelming, they are likely to win this win the NBA title. Like when, when when you go on ESPN.com for the preseason power rankings or the season, preseason predictions, there's always this one article where they put like their 50 ESPN NBA insiders and they ask all of them who's going to win the NBA title. More often than not, about 40 of the 50 pick the same team because there's an overwhelming favorite. That's been the Warriors in recent years. Before that, it was the Heat. Before that, it was the Spurs. Before that, it was the Lakers. Like Before that, it was the Bulls. For the last 30 years, basically, we've had an overwhelming favorite going into the NBA season every single year. That's not going to be the case next year. The Warriors are going to be, regardless of what happens in free agency, because of the injuries, the Warriors are going to be without KD and without Klay Thompson. It's going to be Steph, Draymond, and Iggy. That's not a winning, we just saw this. That is not a team that is capable of winning the NBA Finals. The Raptors might not be able to bring back Kawhi. He might go to the Clippers. Are the Clippers with Kawhi a championship caliber team? I don't know. It might be. They're not going to be the overwhelming favorite, though. The Lakers, we have no idea what's going to happen. It is entirely possible the Lakers end up with AD and LeBron James. That's probably a title-winning team. But if the Warriors were at full strength, it wouldn't be a title-winning team. So I looked at these title odds. This tells you everything you need to know. The Westgate 2020 title odds to win the NBA Finals next year. The Lakers are the favorite right now. I think some of that is because of the LeBron James angle. But if they get 80, they should be the favorite probably. Then it is the Bucks, the Clippers, the Rockets, the Raptors, the Celtics, the Sixers, and the Warriors. Those are all the teams somewhere between basically 5-1 to and 14-1. to What Vegas is telling you is they are throwing up their hands and we have no idea. We don't know. All of these teams have some kind of a shot next year because there's just too many contenders that are similar right now. This is going to be the most fascinating offseason, one of the most fascinating NBA seasons that we've seen in recent memory because for the first time in a league that is all about dominance, there's going to be, going into the year, no team that is clearly and unquestionably better than everybody else. 
It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie. Ben Alpert helping us out on the other side of the glass. If you guys would like to get involved, the Protein House Eat With a Purpose text line is 69306. You can always hit me up on Twitter as well. I am at BK Sports Talk. Coming up here in about 15 minutes, we'll talk to Kent Swanson of Arrowhead Pride. But coming up next, I think the Chiefs showed their hand about something on this week's episode of the franchise. I'll tell you what that something is and how it's going to take place next. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. The leadoff with Brandon Kylie, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie. Ben Alpert helping us out on the other side of the glass. Coming up in just about 10 minutes, we'll talk with Kent Swanson of Arrowhead Pride. Andrew Brandt of Sports Illustrated is going to explain to us what needs to happen for Chris Jones to get a deal done. That's coming up at 11.15. A lot of Chiefs throughout the morning. So, I was watching the Chiefs' new television show. It's called The Franchise. I would highly recommend it. It's been an entertaining watch so far. And I think they showed their hand on something in particular. The Chiefs showed their hand that as much as we've been talking about cornerback here on this show, the Chiefs understand. They gave us a little wink and a nod by putting this on the television show earlier this week. Here's Brett Veach in the draft room prior to the draft talking with Chiefs owner Clark Hunt about how much he likes some of the cornerbacks in this year's draft. Where do you feel this draft is the strongest? I think it's it, every year is different, but I think the cool thing for us is um, you know, I think there's a lot of corners that we like, and in particular that first, second round, I think there's four or five guys that are really interesting. Right after that, they did about a five-minute stretch on how much the Chiefs liked Byron Murphy, the cornerback out of Washington, who went 33rd overall. So the first pick in the second round, Byron Murphy, the Chiefs really liked him. And then they talked about how much the Chiefs really liked Rocky Sin, a cornerback out of Temple who went 34th overall, the second pick in the second round. He said they liked four to five guys. Let me go through this real quick with you. Sean Bunting, a cornerback out of Central Michigan, goes 39th overall. Trayvon Mullen, a cornerback out of Clemson, goes 40th overall. And then you're getting into Joan Williams, who goes 45, and Greedy Williams, who goes 46. Boom, cornerbacks off the board. Cornerbacks at that point are done. And so when you ask yourself or you're asking of somebody, why didn't the Chiefs go get one of these guys? The Chiefs didn't pick until 61. The Chiefs ended up trading up to 56. The highest they could have probably got in this year's draft was probably around the mid-40s. So when Joan Williams and Greedy Williams go off the board, those were the guys that the Chiefs maybe could have gotten up to. The problem is a lot of these were trades as well within here. So these teams that ended up getting these guys, Greedy Williams goes to Cleveland. He ended up getting traded for. Those guys also, the teams that got them, ended up trading up and potentially had a better package than what the Chiefs were able to offer for those teams. So this is not me excusing the Chiefs for not getting a cornerback in the draft. Absolutely not. On the contrary, it is me saying I think the Chiefs showed us exactly what we all thought going in. The Chiefs knew that they needed a cornerback. In fact, we've played this corner th this clip for you a number of times. Brett Veach told us that night, the night of the third round, the night of day two of the NFL draft, he said specifically, yeah, of course, we wanted a cornerback, but they went off the board so quickly. Here's what Brett Veach, I'll let you listen to this one more time, said when asked about a cornerback and the need for a cornerback after day two of the NFL draft. You know, listen, we wanted to get a corner, and um, we had all those corners um, 
that went, we had him as second round type values. And one of the things we talked about with the Frank Clark trade was, um, you know, where we're picking, we had maybe 14 to 15 guys valued as first round talent, right? So when you're picking 30, there's a chance that if you don't trade up or if you, or if you trade back, or let's just say you, you know, you hold your position there, you're, you might be taking a guy that you have a second round value on. Um, but we had those corners valued kind of right where they went. And um, we knew when the day started that it would be really hard to get all the way to the top of two because, as I mentioned, you know, we didn't have a fourth round pick. So uh, the fifth can only get you so high. But the board kind of went just kind of like we thought. I think the one surprise was that Saunders was still available. And we had him kind of right in that mid two uh, to low two level. And the fact that he fell to three, we were kind of like, wow. So that's him talking about Colin Saunders, the defensive tackle that they ended up selecting in the third round. But you hear it right there. And sometimes you have to take all of this with a grain of salt, right? Sometimes when the GM comes out the night of the draft and says, yeah, we liked a lot of those cornerbacks. We decided eh, we couldn't get up that high. A lot of the time you have to take that with a grain of salt. When the Chiefs are putting on their own in-house produced television show that we liked player X, Y, and Z, and we wanted to go get them, but it just wasn't possible for us to do so. The Chiefs know they need a corner. What I learned earlier this week from the Chiefs, from their television show, they are producing all of this. They get to edit it. They get to write the scripts for it. They get to decide what does and does not make the show. They, in their television show, when they know who they're speaking to, they're speaking to you, the Chiefs fan, decided to do a full scene about how the the general manager and the owner talked about the corners in this draft. That's a wink and a nod to you. They're not doing that for anybody else. There's no other reason to do this. The Chiefs told you, the Chiefs fan, we know we need a cornerback. We know you guys are worried about our cornerback position. We are going to go get one. This was one way that we could have done it. We've got other ideas. Now, the question becomes, what are those other ideas? We've talked about Xavier Rhodes on this show. We talked about Xavier Howard prior to him getting his new deal. Darius Slay earlier this week said he potentially could hold out from training camp. He's the cornerback that is very good for the Detroit Lions. There's going to be a limited number of corners that become available between now and the start of the NFL season. The Chiefs need to get one of them. Now, earlier this week, I heard this from Jalen Ramsey, and it made me very interested and the idea of Jalen Ramsey coming over to Kansas City. Here's Jalen Ramsey on Instagram Live because, of course, with Leonard Fournette talking about how he didn't get his contract this offseason and now there's no discount coming to the Jaguars moving forward. Next year, especially after I bomb, they're going to come to me, hey, you know what, hey, we want to we wanna holler at you. Nah, 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 nah. That number going to be so ungodly. I'm gonna just, that number going to be so ungodly, they're going to just look, we can't get a little discount with 20% off. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. See, last year, I'm going to tell them last year, y'all could have got that discount. This year, so I have the same reaction every time I see any of these kinds of news stories. So, like, if, you, if, you're, a, if you're a news writer, and I, I would assume most of the people in our audience are not, but if you were, let's say you were for a moment. If you write a headline that says, player X, whoever that player is, cornerback X, frustrated with contract situation. There's a 100% chance that I will click on your story and a 100% chance that I'm interested in that player coming to play for the Chiefs. It doesn't matter who it is. They could be 40 years old and potentially getting ready to retire. Like, it doesn't matter at this point. I just want another corner. I just want somebody to come play corner for my Kansas City Chiefs. I root for this team. I watch this team religiously. I want them to be good at the position so desperately. 
And right now, they have Traverius Ward as their number two, Bashad Breeland as their number three, and I just don't know if that's good enough. I, In fact, I feel like I do know. I feel like I do know that it's not good enough, and that's the problem. The plus side, though, is that we heard from Brad Veach earlier this week. We heard from the owner of the team and Clark Hunt from earlier this week, and we've heard from a number of people around the team. The Chiefs very clearly want to upgrade the position. They're going to be looking for any avenues to being able to do so. We've been told ad nauseum about how aggressive Brett Veach is. So if all of these things are true, I would anticipate that by week one, one of the current starters is not a starter for your Chiefs. That's not to suggest that he's going to be cut, but I think the Chiefs are going to have one new starting cornerback that is not named Bashad Breland, Kendall Fuller, or Traverius Ward come week one when they play against Jacksonville. I'm just going to be very interested to find out who that player is that they're replacing them with. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kiley. Ben Alpert helping us out on the other side of the glass. If you would like to get involved in the show, the Protein House Eat With a Purpose text line is the best way to do so. It is 69306. You can always hit me up on Twitter. I'm at BK Sports Talk as well. Coming up here in just about 10 minutes, man, the AFC is looking awfully combustible right about now, and the NFL has got a problem on its hands. But coming up next, Ken Swanson of Arrowhead Pride is going to join us. I want to ask him about the Chiefs cornerback situation. I want to ask him about what he expects in this Chris Jones situation. And are we going overboard with the love for Steve Spagnola? We'll do that coming up. Ken Swanson joins us on the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. The leadoff with Brandon Kiley, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kiley. Ben Alpert helping us out on the other side of the glass. If you would like to get involved in the show, the Protein House Eat With a Purpose text line is 69306. But joining us now... On the leadoff hotline is Kent Swanson. He's on Twitter at Kent underscore Swanson. And you can read his work at Arrowhead Pride, where he's the lead draft and film analyst for Arrowhead Pride. Kent, how you doing this morning, man? I cannot complain. It's on a weekend, and I'm talking to my guy, BK. <laughs> I don't know what else I could be asking for, my man. I like it. I like it. All right, Kent, let's start with this because... I was just talking about the franchise, the uh, Chiefs' new television show that they are running bi-weekly, which means every other week for those of you out there that are, tried to find it last week like I did. I, I never found it, and then I found out that it's bi-weekly. So, this, I, I made the mistake too, man. I made the exact same mistake. I'm glad I'm not alone. Um, <laughs> this week on the show, they showed Brett Veach talking with Clark Hunt, and I want to play this clip for you and for the audience who may have missed this earlier. They showed them talking about cornerbacks in this year's draft. Here's the clip. I'll ask you about it on the other side. Where do you feel this draft is the strongest? I think it's it, every year is different, but I think the cool thing for us is, um, you know, I think there's a lot of corners that we like, and I, in particular that first, second round, I think there's four or five guys that are really interesting. All right, Kent, you know how this stuff works. The Chiefs are producing this thing on their own. The Chiefs know exactly who their target audience is for a show like this. It is people like you and me, people like most of our listeners in this audience who are diehard Chiefs fans, and people who have specifically been talking about the cornerback situation since the NFL draft, saying, what the hell are the Chiefs going to do with their cornerback situation? Do you agree with me that this was a wink and a nod to Chiefs fans, that the Chiefs understand that they have a cornerback problem, they acknowledge their cornerback problem, and they're going to try to fix their cornerback problem? BK, they spent more time breaking down corners they didn't select than Nico <laughs> Hardman. They, they are screaming at you 
we're not happy at cornerback. I honestly, uh, and I, I give the Chiefs credit for this. It was kind of unprecedented. I watched some of these other team shows, kind of like what the Chiefs do. Uh, I've never seen a team admittedly show what their opinion of players they didn't take were. They were breaking down the cornerbacks specifically. There was probably a reason that the Chiefs wanted Brett Veach and Clark Hunt talking about corners to be filmed because they probably were anticipating grabbing one of these guys at some point. I mean, it's blatantly obvious. And you hear a lot of people talking about, well, maybe they're just happy with Charvarius Ward. Maybe they're just happy with Brashad Breeland, who they paid $2 million. Maybe they're happy with Kendallfoot. They're not. Stop it. They know they need another quarterback, and they just flat out told you on their show. Yeah, and it's like it's one thing for Brett Veach the night of the draft to come out and say, and he did say this, and we all we played it here on this show. I know a lot of Chiefs fans saw this after the fact, but he came out and said after the day two picks, hey, we wanted a cornerback, but they went off the board quickly. And you never know how true that is. But when he says that, and then about a month and a half, two months later, he confirms it on the uh, the t- the team produced the team run television show. I. I just I don't know how anybody could possibly say to themselves that the Chiefs don't understand, don't know that they need another cornerback. Yeah, and, and, and they they flat out told you now, which is great. They there, and I think if you just look at it on its face, like I know there's some reasons to be optimistic about a guy like Charvarius Ward, sure. and you know you're hoping Kendall Fuller playing in a, a, a scheme that probably plays to his skill sets a little bit more, like what you saw with him with the Redskins, and also you know who had their best. You know, year was, was next to Kendall Fuller was Bashad Breeland. So, like, I mean, you can talk yourself into all these things. There's still not a lot of talent over there. There's not a true number one cornerback. There's not a lot of true number, cor- number one cornerbacks available right now. Probably won't be one available until week one. Maybe there's a couple. But, you know, keep an eye on, you know, maybe six weeks into the season that there's a move. A team's given up, uh, you know, six, eight weeks into the season. Maybe that's when they go make their move to go acquire more talent. We're talking with Kent Swanson. He's the lead draft and film analyst for Arrowhead Pride. He's joining us here on the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. All right, let's get into a few other things here, Kent, because I wanted to ask you about the Chris Jones situation. Earlier this week, Sam Mellinger wrote a column basically saying they are far apart on talks, our own Bob Fesco said he's hearing it's about $25 million in terms of the guaranteed money that could potentially be holding this up. Listen, I I typically say until we get closer to training camp, until we get probably two weeks into training camp, I don't worry about this stuff because I think more often than not, the deals end up getting done and the deadlines are what make those deals get done. But are you worried at all at this point that Chris Jones is not going to come to an agreement on a long-term contract with the Chiefs this offseason? Yeah, I mean, I'm a little bit concerned. I, I I wouldn't say like the the emergency signals on for me quite yet, but I, it's pretty obvious based on some of the things that you're hearing, specifically on NFL Network, that you know the Chiefs wanted Chris Jones in here to interact with this new coaching staff, interact with a new culture. Because I mean, Britt Reed's not his positional coach anymore. Andy Reid's son is not his positional coach anymore. It's a it's Brendan Daly is one of the most energetic defensive line coaches I've ever seen in my entire life. It's a different vibe. It's a different culture. I'm sure they want to see those guys interacting together, working together. You know, Chris Jones is a fun guy, but, I mean, this is a different culture for him. So I I don't blame the Chiefs necessarily for wanting to kind of get a view of him and see how they interact. 
I still think they're going to pay him, and I still think the Chiefs want to pay him. But I just, it, I kind of think they wanted him here just to get a little bit of a vibe of, of how this thing kind of will go before they hand over a hundred and you know a hundred million dollars or whatever it's going to wind up being. No, and that's fair. I understand. I, I can understand some of the concerns, some of the things that maybe make them hesitant. It's specifically like. Chris Jones has had one great year, so I can understand being a little bit hesitant to hand him over $60 million in guarantees, but at the end of the day, Chris Jones is a incredible talent, and he does the thing that is the most valuable in the NFL right now, which is get pressure up the middle. So I, I still si- tend to lean on the side of they're going to get something done, but I suppose it's possible they don't. We're talking with Ken Swanson. He's the lead draft and film analyst for Arrowhead Pride. Uh, Kent, you specifically mentioned the coaching staff, and you mentioned Brendan Daly. I wanted to ask you about Steve Spagnolo because most of what we've heard about Spags, most of the love that we've heard for this coaching staff is basically something to the effect of they're doing their jobs. Like, at some point, it does come down to the coaches are coaching, and that's what we're seeing at camp, and this is surprising. And so I wanted to ask you, are we going a little overboard with the loves for Steve Spagnolo and this new staff with the fact that they are just competent at their jobs and it's so different for us that we're not sure how to react? I, I mean, I think that last little line is kind of the, the key piece of this, right? I mean, the, the expectation of having a coaching staff do their job is not something we've been able to say about the defensive staff. And the, the, the truth is, though, and the reality of this is, though, that if your expectation is that the Chiefs are now a top 10 defense because Steve Spagnuolo is competent enough to do what he wants and he do his job compared to what we saw to Bob Sutton and staff last year, then you're going to be disappointed. But if you think the things and, and the base level expectations of doing your job, being a, a good communicator, spending time with your players, if you think all those things can help you get one third and ten stop in three opportunities when your team is, is, has got uh, the Patriots on the ropes in overtime, if you think they can get one stop, then you, sh- I mean, you should be excited, right? I mean, I think the, the whole thing about this, there's a disconnect between you know, the expectations of what Steve Spagnuolo brings in regard to, you know, they, some people think they're going to be a top ten defense, but they don't need a top ten defense. They need the 20th best defense in football. They need the 23rd best defense in football. That is enough for this team to win a Super Bowl. And I think that's really what people are excited about, is just competency on the defensive side of the ball is enough for this team to do the things that they want to do and be a legitimate contender. So I'm with you. Um, I would be curious, from your perspective, Kent, because you watch as much, if not more, of this team than basically anybody else, what do you think are realistic expectations for the defense? You said potentially getting to 20th. Is, is that kind of where you're expecting them to be when, all, when the season comes to an end? So, yeah, I think 20th is relatively acceptable. Um, I, it's kind of hard to piece this thing together because, again, you know, nine of the 11 starters on this defense were not here last year. These are, this is a new group. This is just a complete roster. It's an important point, team. Kent, because I think some people are like comparing this defense right now to what they did a year ago. And it's almost unfair to do so. You've got none of the same coaching staff. Like you said, nine of the 11 starters are different. Like it's, it, it's almost difficult to compare what they are now to what they were a year ago. Right. So then you kind of got to look at, you, you look at some of the individual traits and qualities that they have, and there's a lot of good things there. And then you kind of just look at, you know, 
I think this is where you kind of start talking about Tyron Matthew and Frank Clark because, you know, if you told Tyron Matthew and Frank Clark that the Chiefs fans just want the 20th best defense in football, they'd be irritated. You know, they, they've got, they've really done a good job of building this culture. They've got quality talent on that side of the ball. And I think, I think they've got, you know, more than enough talent to be the 20th best defense in football, but there's a higher standard for that group. And, and continuing to push and improve and grow that and develop that side of the ball. Um, I think is, is what really takes this thing and, and makes them, you know, capable of being the 20th best defense in football, which is all Chiefs fans want, but what people in that building are going to be irritated by. And that's a good thing for this team, for this franchise, for this culture on this football team. Um, but that's, that's the reason to get excited and believe, you know, it's possible for them to be enough, more than enough. You know, 20th is, is plenty. It's plenty good for them to win a Super Bowl. We're talking with Kent Swanson. You can find him on Twitter. He's at Kent underscore Swanson. He's the lead draft and film analyst for Arrowhead Pride. Final question for you, Kent. What is something relating to the Chiefs right now that you think Chiefs fans aren't talking enough about? Uh, I mean, I, I for one, am still I, – I don't know if uh, – I don't know how – I feel like there's a disconnect between um, – these these Byron Pringles and Garrett Dieters and and Demarcus Robinson like there's this expectation that these guys are are five six hundred seven hundred yard receivers. I see this a lot. They expect one of these guys to be um, a legitimate wide receiver too. Um, Tyree Kill's situation throws a giant wrench into this offense. I you know I still think you know they have plenty there with Sammy Watkins and Travis Kelsey. But I think you need to slow down the expectations of these second-tier wide receivers. I see too much optimism from these guys. People need to kind of pump the brakes on it. Um, they need they need a weapon like Tyreek Hill like, to make this offense what it is. It makes a very dicey situation, obviously. Um, but I think people need to pump the brakes on the expectations for these Tier 2 offensive weapons, even though Patrick Mahomes is throwing them the football. He is Kent Swanson. He's on Twitter at Kent underscore Swanson, and you can read his work, Arrowhead Prides, where you find it, where he is the lead draft and film analyst for them. Kent, always appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us this morning. Anytime, bud. You bet. That is Kent Swanson joining us here on the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. It's a good point. I mean, if Chris Conley, who earlier this week there was buzz that he's been the best receiver at Jaguars camp, which probably isn't a great sign for the Jaguars, but... He's been the best receiver down at Jags camp. If that guy can't be a 500, 600-yard receiver in this offense, I'm pretty sure Byron Pringle's not going to be that guy. Maybe he can be. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm underestimating him, but I probably wouldn't expect that from him. That was Ken Swanson joining us here on the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie, Ben Alpert helping us out on the other side of the glass. If you want to get involved in the show, the Protein House, eat with a purpose text line to 69306. You can always hit me up on Twitter as well. I am at BK Sports Talk. Coming up here in just about 15 minutes or so, for the first time in my life, the Chiefs' regular season doesn't matter. But first, the Browns look awfully combustible right now. I'll tell you what happened earlier this week and why it matters for the Chiefs. We'll do that next. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. The leadoff with Brandon Kylie, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie. Ben Alpert helping us out on the other side of the glass. 69306 is the Protein House Eat with a Purpose text line if you guys would like to get involved in the show. If you missed my conversation with Kent Swanson, you can check that out coming up later on this afternoon. 
610sports.com is the place where you find it. So, coming up here in just about 10 minutes, we'll talk about why the Chiefs regular season doesn't matter. But for the Browns, this regular season matters a lot. The Browns are a team that if you listen to NFL Network, if you listen to any of the so-called experts around the NFL, everybody's expecting the Browns to be one of the teams that takes that leap this year. The Browns are the sexy new toy. The Browns are the team everybody thinks can legitimately go on a little bit of a run this year. And so when I heard, I think it was about a week ago, Baker Mayfield say this about Duke Johnson, who recently requested a trade. We have guys that want to be here. They'll show that. They'll voice that. Obviously, you know, he's going to handle his stuff how he wants. You're either on this train or you're not. It's moving. Uh, You can get out the way or you can join us. So. It is what it is. I had a feeling that wasn't going to go over particularly well in the locker room. So we talked about it on here. And then earlier this week, Mike Silver of NFL Network confirmed the Browns fans' greatest fears. I'm told by multiple sources that several veterans uh, came up to him in the locker room after those comments about Duke Johnson. And let's just say voiced their displeasure saying, listen, you know, it's one thing to be the leader, but... This is a guy who's going through something. It's business, and we need to support him. Listen, I like Baker Mayfield. I like the fact that he plays with a little bit of an edge. I enjoy it. I think it's good for the league. And also, I think it's possible it could create some issues in the locker room. If you've seen what's happened in Pittsburgh over the last few years, there's some potential for that with Baker Mayfield as your quarterback. So, the reason why I bring this up is because if the Browns are legitimately going to be a contender... If we all agree in this room and in this listening area that the Browns are going to be a team that's going to be a contender for next year and for years to come, then we need to pay pay attention to this stuff. And next year, the Browns, if they get off to a rough start, could potentially be a combustible situation. You got Odell Beckham, you got Baker Mayfield, you got Duke Johnson, who wants to trade and has made that very clear. You've got Jarvis Landry, who was apparently a bit of a malcontent down in Miami. You've got everything that's going on on the defense side of the ball with Sheldon Richardson. Like, you got some personalities on this squad. It's a lot like the Rams last year, where it went right, and so the Rams were not an issue. And eventually, they got to the Super Bowl, and it was a great success. Every every risk that Les Snead took last year paid off in the end. There's potential for that with the Browns. There's also potential that this goes south quickly. So they start their year with Tennessee, the Jets, the Rams, and Baltimore. And then they go to San Francisco and finish off week six against Seattle. If they're like three and three after six weeks, I'm trying to imagine how that's going to go over, not just in Cleveland, but with like the national media as they go into their bye week and then take on the New England Patriots. If by week eight, this team's three and four, there are going to be serious questions asked about them because they will not have played Pittsburgh yet. They finish off the year with another game against Baltimore. Like their schedule is not easy next year. And so when I hear everybody say that the Browns are this contender, the Browns could ultimately win the Super Bowl. The Browns could be an issue for the Chiefs and the AFC. The talent's there. I have no questions about that. But Baker Mayfield's never done this. Their head coach was a running backs coach last year. And by the way, their head coach criticized Duke Johnson as well. For as much as people criticized Baker, deservedly so, for what he said about Duke Johnson, their coach said the same thing. Their coach was out here, and he was the guy that was also saying, listen, you can either get get on this ride or you can get out of the way. 
Freddie Kitchens said this about Duke Johnson. He wants to be traded, you know. I want to win the lottery. All right, so it doesn't matter. He's a Cleveland Brown. He's under contract. He's going to be used uh, to the best of his ability and what benefits the team. Freddie Kitchens could also lose this locker room. I'm not saying he will. I'm saying it's in play. And so when I hear all of this coming out of Cleveland, the only thing I can think of, this is a highly combustible situation. They are taking a lot of risk. It's the John Dorsey way, man. This is what he did here in Kansas City. It worked out for him for about four years. And then it all blew up in his face. If it works out in Cleveland, it's going to be miraculous. And they're going to be really good. They are going to be hugely talented. And it's going to be a lot of fun for everybody to watch. If it doesn't, it is going to be really fun to watch for everybody that is not a Browns fan, and it's going to be highly combustible. There is something else that could be a highly combustible situation going on in the NFL right now. So, when the NFL decided to make their defensive pass interference rules reviewable, I praised them. I said, this is the right call. I said, they're even going about this correctly within the last two minutes because instead of it being reviewable from up top, the whole game, it is, you have to use one of your challenge flags. So you get two challenge flags, potentially three if you get both of yours correct, but you get two challenge flags at the beginning of the game, and you can use one of those on a defensive pass interference call. Okay, that makes sense. Instead of reviewing in the fourth quarter um, a fumble, maybe you end up reviewing a defensive pass interference call. It's a critical point in the game, third and 12. You think there is defensive pass interference. You throw the flag, you challenge it, and you go to the monitor for two minutes. That makes sense to me, even in the final two minutes. You think there is pass interference on a play. It was a crucial situation. It could potentially be the difference between you punting versus you going down the field and scoring right before the half. I get it. You challenge it. We move forward. We go on. Well, we all knew the NFL wasn't going to make it that simple, right? When the NFL initially approved this rule back in March, the system was going to be similar to any other challengeable play. It would be coaches' challenges outside of two minutes, booth reviews inside of two minutes. Now, owners did authorize the competition committee back in May to potentially tweak that rule and make it coaches' challenges throughout the game. However, most coaches have voiced opposition to that type of a system for a variety of different reasons. And so what the competition committee is working on right now is a system in which, yes, the replay reviews will come from upstairs inside of two minutes. Oh, come on. Come on. We had this. We had this in the bag. It was done. You had the two coaches' challenges. You got to use those. That's the way that we speed up the game. Do you know what's going to happen now? Every with it within two minutes of every game. We're going up to the monitor because there was maybe, possibly, potentially a defensive pass interference on a Hail Mary. You know that's going to happen. There's going to be a new play in the NFL. The Hail Mary normally, right now, as it currently works, is you throw it up as high as you can, as far as you can, and you see if one of your players comes down with it, and if not, the, the, the game ends. You know how it's going to work now? It's going to be the same thing we do in the NBA. Where the game ends and everybody's looking around. Was there a call? Was there a call? Was there no call? What's the what's? Can we celebrate? Are we able to play? This is what's going to happen. Teams now are going to change their Hail Mary plays. The Hail Mary is no longer about coming down with the ball. The Hail Mary now is about getting the call. And if you get the call, you get the ball at the one-yard line because it's a spot foul because it was in the end zone. And now the team gets one untimed down from the one-yard line to potentially win the game. That's the new game. That's the new game plan. If you're a head coach, this is what you do every game. If you're down by seven or less, or eight or less, I guess, you go down and you throw the Hail Mary, 
and you hope you get the call. We screwed this up. We had this correct. They did the right thing. They made sure they're not going to the monitor within two minutes. You have to use the challenge flag from start to finish of the game. Very simple. Everybody understands the rules. And instead, they have decided we're going to make this as difficult as possible. We're going to make sure everybody's confused by what's going on. And we're going to the monitor and it's inside two minutes. And there are going to be a nightmare amount of calls inside of two minutes. This is a disaster for the NFL. If you remember what it was like last year, remember weeks one through about six or so and how bad roughing the passer was? If you remember that time period, that's what this is going to be like. Week one's going to be an absolute nightmare. There are going to be so many calls that you're like, I have no idea. Was it defensive pass interference? I don't know. This is the new catch rule. The NFL got rid of the catch rule. They more or less got it right last year. More or less. Still some calls that were questionable, but... They clarified the rule. It became more clear what was and was not a catch. And despite that, they went out there and they found another way to make all of us mad within two minutes. The NFL did it again. They found a way to get their new catch rule. They found a way to get the new roughing the passer rule. Just when you think they get it right, they find a way to get it wrong. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie. Ben Alpert helping us out on the other side of the glass. The Protein House Eat With a Purpose text line is 69306. You can hit me up on Twitter as well. I am at BK Sports Talk. Coming up next, everybody tells me I should care about the Chiefs regular season. I can't bring myself to do it. I'll explain coming up. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. The leadoff with Brandon Kylie, 610 Sports Radio. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.